Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. that takes pop culture and reveals the history behind it. I'm Jem Daduchu, and this time round, we're talking about hip-hop, which means, naturally, we're going to be talking about the poetry of Homer, Chaucer, the Scandinavian epic sagas, Shakespeare, and Dickens. Don't forget, before we get rolling, to like, subscribe, Leave a review on whatever app or podcast format you're listening to this on. All helps to spread the words. If you want to give us suggestions, you can find us at Neon Podcast on Twitter and Facebook. And if you want to talk to me, Jem Daduchu, you'll find me as simply Jem Daduchu on Twitter. Now, let's get on with it. You've been here for three and a half hours. Now, how many different ways do you want me to tell the same story? Notice anything unusual about Santa Carla yet? No. It's a pretty good place. I'm impressed. How many questions does it usually take to spot? As your leader, I encourage you from time to time, and always in a respectful manner, to question my logic. Now to run a computer check on this tape and the professor. So, hip-hop and rap. Where's it come from and how old is it? Well, the latter of those two is much harder to answer. Rapping, the idea of talking in a rhythmic way, that goes way back. Exactly where it was started from, who did it first, highly contentious, but we're not talking about the modern era anymore. However, if we're talking specifically about hip-hop's music, that can be traced back to the 70s New York, specifically the incredibly impoverished and highly deprived area called the Bronx. And in the 1970s, it was a terrible place to live. It was full of unemployment, poverty, and drugs. And it was 
a noticeably black community. So if you look at the pioneers of hip-hop, a lot of them are petty criminals, small-time drug dealers, members of gangs, but it wasn't that they were using the music to perhaps promote gang violence or anything like that. That was to come later, and we'll certainly be talking about gangster rap, but instead it was a case of they were using the music to get out of their current economic situation, and who could blame them? So for the 1970s, hip-hop and rap was basically a New York thing, and it was known in the ghettos. It was ghetto music, basically. However, what the distinctive sound of hip-hop was, was a pushback against the disco of New York in the 1970s. A little bit like the punk rock in England was a pushback to all the glam rock that, that was roaring up the charts in the 1970s. What exactly is hip-hop? And let's get some terminology out there, shall we? And I am aware that I am a middle-aged, middle-class white guy from London. More on that later, okay? But I do feel I am qualified to throw uh, at least some opinions out about it, and also to link it back to some real history out there, because I have an important point to make. Trust me, we'll get there. So, The idea was a lot of these DJs didn't like the 70s glitter, if you like, and they wanted to go back perhaps a generation earlier to the 60s and the 50s and the soul music of the time. However, what they wanted to do was rather than just play a James Brown track, for example, is they only wanted to use the intro or perhaps the middle section where it was just instrumental. It was the drum beat. It was the horn section, something like that. And that is referred to as a break. And it was the attempt to recreate these breaks and repeat them over and over again that led to this skill of mixing and scratching and being a DJ. And there were some times, in, particularly in the Bronx, there were sometimes people would just go and listen to the DJ just mixing all this stuff up rather than an overall performance. It seems that the rapping bit started off as announcements during these parties over the music, and the guys calling out felt obliged to perhaps keep it funky rather than just stop everything and say, uh, Dave, your car's blocking the, the driveway. Could you move it, please? That's really going to ruin the party vibe. So they kept it rhythmic. And so you had this talking over this beat, and that is basically where hip-hop came from. And in the 1970s, as I said, it was very niche. Into the 1980s, and we start getting a few tracks that are beginning to chart. Some of these guys are now getting record deals. And one of the earliest ones from 1982 was The Message from Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five. Now, these guys were genuine pioneers of the hip-hop sound. They'd been around for a few years. They were the real deal. And what was interesting is The Message pushed back against all the other, if you like, novelty rap albums and songs out there. The message, if you listen to it, it's funky. And I'm not going to start going into the lyrics of this because I certainly can't do it justice. But the point is, the it had a message. It was a socially aware statement about the impoverished, terrible conditions of 
uptown New York state. And things weren't good. And it became a monster, monster smash. Now, <clears throat> I want to be quite clear about this. It wasn't, it didn't in in and of itself trigger a whole renaissance of music. But what we're starting to see is that unlike all the pop music out at the time, hip-hop was actually trying to say something. And indeed, even some of the poppier tunes are making references to certain ways of life and certain outlooks on life as well. Now, it was going to evolve into the in the night, late 1980s into something different, something more powerful, something considered dangerous by the powers in America. But now I'm going to take it all back to those other great writers that I've mentioned, the Homers and Chaucers and Shakespeare's of that lot, in the sense that when we are looking back to a certain time period, kind of what we've got are the words. And I'm going to argue that in 500 years' time, if you wanted to know what it was like being a poor black man in 20th century America, well, they're probably not going to watch Beverly Hills Cop. They're probably going to listen to some of these albums because they were keeping it real, telling it like it is. These are all cliched phrases which have been way overused, but it actually means something and means something even more important when you put it into the usually quite musty side of history. So the big breakthrough, and where I, if you like, come into the story of all this, the band that is sometimes referred to as the Beatles of hip-hop, I'm not saying that was ever an official title or anything like that, was Run DMC and their breakout hit, Walk This Way, where basically they cut together their version of an Aerosmith song. And so you had this rock, rock rap fusion, or rop, as I've just said. <laughs> Good job that never took off as a phrase. Anyway, the point is, suddenly you had all the white kids listening to this hip-hop as well. And that's when I started to get into it. And when you have a teenage kid living in West London who doesn't know what a ghetto is, doesn't know what the working end of a gun is, etc., then you know you're onto a massive musical movement. And it was Run DMC that really turned it into a global enterprise. Now, that's not to disrespect all the previous hip-hop songs and rap albums that came out prior to Run DMC's Walk This Way, but that is absolutely the watershed moment. And what was interesting is, that Run DMC, when you go beyond Walk This Way, was very hip-hop. Those big, hard drum breaks, that Run DMC absolutely did that in their first few albums. Um, uh, Whose House, Run's House, it was a particular favourite of mine. Um, I was recently blaring it out to the kids in the car, and it brought me straight back to my teenage years. I hadn't heard it for ages. I did actually download it, and just hearing all this uh, scratching on the on the song, one of my kids said, uh, I said, do you know what that is? And they said, oh, yeah, that's when they're mucking around with a CD, isn't it? I went, ah, 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 this is before CDs. This is records, baby. So, yeah, um, you get Run DMC, who were hard, but they weren't gangster. And 
like all of this, there are various people sort of taking things out of it and saying, well, I started it first. Well, if you're looking at, the, looking at this, it's mine, et cetera, et cetera. We will come to that in a moment. But the other thing I want to say is, as I said earlier, the term for this drum beat or this instrumental beat is the break. And in these house parties in the 1970s, people have to dance to it. And that's where the term break dancing comes from. A lot of people thought it's like, oh, because they're going to break their necks. No, they are dancing to the break, hence break dancing. Quite why you had to spin on your head. I think that's just showing off. When you look at a lot of the early stuff, you're talking about teenage guys in clubs with no money. And really, bottom line, it was to impress the ladies. Well done, fellas. You know, my hat is off to you. I salute you. Okay. Now, then we come to the late 80s and the music has exploded out of New York. And now we get the West Coast, the LA of the world, getting involved and putting their own unique spin on this New York based rap. Now, I'm not going to get into the whole Biggie Smalls, East Coast, West Coast stuff. Let's forget about that. And to be honest, I'm not entirely sure that's going to survive 500 years. But the point is, arguably the first person that made a more real version, a more socially aware, a more violent and scary version of hip hop popular was Ice-T. And oh my God, I lapped his stuff up. (laughs) So much. Yes, there's little teenage gem listening to original gangster and six in the morning and all that kind of stuff and loving it. And I recognize, first of all, he has a voice like honey. But secondly, there was intelligence to this stuff. Now, I understand why it was scary, because in a way, it was almost like diary readings of, I woke up this morning, you know, I threw on my clothes. Yeah, I, I, you know, I've got to grab a gun. I've got to sell some drugs. I've got to evade the police. And it's like, that's pretty scary. If if you're not into the whole urban thing, I can understand why in America, where it was actually happening, I guess you could argue because I was separated by an entire ocean, I never felt that this was something on my door, but I could understand why white America got a little bit scared about this. And then it went to another level with Public Enemy. Now, behind the scenes, Def Jam uh, Records, which I bought a lot of their stuff back in the day. One of their sort of key producers was a guy called Rick Rubin, who was white. And if you see pictures of him, you think he's more of a metaler, but he. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. 
That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. He, Rick Rubin is an absolute genius. He's the person who put together the Beastie Boys, showing you that white people can also do hip hop as well. And the Beastie Boys are nothing if not funky. Uh, and also after his era with working with loads of definitive rap acts, he then went to Johnny Cash and said to him, you need to strip it all back. You need to get back to where you came from. And basically what he did with rap, he did with Johnny Cash. Say, let's, let's push away all the pop. Let's push away all the baggage. Let's strip it down, make it raw. And that was the real renaissance in the last 10 years or so of Johnny Cash's life. And I was lucky enough to see Johnny Cash in the Royal Albert Hall. And that was kind of special. But anyway, so Rick Rubin, you got to salute him as well. But he also put together Public Enemy. Now the focal point of Public Enemy is Chuck D, a man who was a child in the 1960s, but he absolutely, he grew up in poverty. He saw the incredible inherent racism in lots of American society, and he wanted to say something about it. It took, apparently, Rick Rubin's ages to lure him in because he just didn't want to be, let's say, another run DMC. He could do that, but it wasn't pleasing enough for him. And so, with Flavor Flav, they created Public Enemy and it exploded. And if there is one song that summarizes the power of all this, it's got to be Fight the Power by Public Enemy, because it's it's a manifesto. It's barely a song. But unlike manifestos, political manifestos, or even Karl Marx or other sort of great philosophical thinkers, you can dance to this. It is great to dance to. It's got this throbbing bass line. It's just cool and powerful. And of course, in the middle of that, and, and look, I am aware that I like to keep my clean rating on this podcast. So now that I'm in the realms of of public enemy and gangster rap, I have to be very careful, okay? But in the middle of it, there's a very overt statement about how Elvis is not my hero and nor is John Wayne, because these two people were huge and symbols of white America. And we tend to give them a pass because they were so big and so famous, but they were pretty racist. No, no, sorry. They were very racist. And so if you're a black person, it's like, this isn't my hero. If anything, he's my enemy. And, you know, my guys don't appear on no postage stamps to quote Chuck D terribly. Um, so, yeah, so suddenly it's scary. Suddenly it's, it, this is saying, if anything, we want to restart America our way. 
So you can see why people got a little bit scared about this. Then, then you had NWA, which I can't even tell you what it stands for and keep my clean rating, but they, their explosive album, Straight Out of Compton, with the signature song, Straight Out of Compton, with another song in it, which is very anti-police, Jem said very politely, was again just anti-disestablishmentarianism at its finest. And there was a notorious, uh, there was a notorious concert in Detroit. So obviously in LA, they kept being pulled over there. You know, we're talking about a time just before the, uh, the race riots in LA and, uh, you know, just all the complexities of LA life and the LA police department and the racism, the inherent racism that they discovered in it. Just a terrible time. And of course, there was the, the crack epidemic poverty everywhere. And actually what was happening is, to be honest, apart from Eazy-E in NWA, most of the guys in it were musicians rather than gangsters. They talked a good game, but they weren't really as hardcore as they perhaps portrayed in their music. Please don't shoot me. <laughs> but the point is, they were being pulled over all the time. They're an obvious target for the police. And so it got to the point where they were so fed up with the police, they recorded that song. But anyway, in a concert in Detroit, when they arrived, the area was surrounded by police officers. And when they met, the police met NWA behind the scenes. And I just want you to pause for a moment and think about what band gets met by the police department and they are specifically told you cannot say, sing that song against the police okay don't do it you're banned from it that's a police department infringing on someone's freedom of speech and i think the thing that people forget about is freedom of speech is not the same thing as freedom of agreement freedom of speech means that i am going to hear things that offend me but you have the right to say them now you don't have the right to attack me you do not have the right to cause violence or anything like that but these are just a bunch of kids singing well rapping on a stage and of course they sung it and then they got arrested and all hell broke loose and it just they yeah it was just a complete mess but if that isn't socially conscious music, I don't know what is. Now, I know some people are going to turn around and say, hey, but what about the 60s, man? You know, there are all those anti-war protests. It's like, OK, but that was really against a certain thing. That was young people saying we don't like the way the old people are doing it. And in particular, it was anti-Vietnam. But this was not anti-Vietnam. This was just anti-society or, in the case of gangster rap, saying, yeah, I, I earned money because I used to be a drug dealer because I couldn't get a proper job. So you put all that together and now let's compare it with some of the other greats because I want to jump to Shakespeare for a moment. Shakespeare is, no argument about it, the single greatest writer in the English language, arguably in the world. The list of his plays is huge, and of course, there's his poetry as well. It is beautifully beautiful and structured. But here's the thing. We go back to Shakespeare to learn about stories, and we go back to him to learn about the human condition. He is insightful in what makes us human, but he is terrible at telling you about what it was like in Elizabethan England. Yes, we get some politics from things like Richard III, but but by, by and large, he tended to write about rich people, kings. He wrote a bunch of plays about kings, sometimes some made-up kings. 
sometimes some fairy tales as well. So if you're looking for <laughs> socially aware commentary of Elizabethan England, you don't go to Shakespeare. And in a weird way, that's something that Ice-T has got on Shakespeare, okay? However, the thing about Shakespeare is he wrote in iambic pentameter, and he wanted everything, in particular his poetry, to flow. It had a rhythm to it. It had an internal dialogue and music to it. And that flow is something that a modern-day rapper would absolutely understand. So in a way, you could, if you're a bit weird like Jem, argue that Shakespeare is the original gangster, and certainly he's killed a lot of people in his work, probably more than N.W.A., but obviously he talks about battles and things like that. However, I think it's fair that when you're looking at Homer and when you're looking at Shakespeare, you're looking at this flow of language. Things are reconstructed to be beautiful and not necessarily to be parlance, which wouldn't have been used at the time, but to be grammatically correct. And rappers do exactly the same thing. They're trying to get you to feel something. They don't necessarily worry about punctuation. Okay, so Homer, Shakespeare, that's done. However, I want to talk about Chaucer now. Because if you want to find out what it was like living in the Middle Ages, I'm going to say Chaucer does a better job of that than Shakespeare does about his age. You get, you know, when you look at the Canterbury Tales, you get things like the Knight's Tale, but you get the, you know, you get the Wife of Bath and you, you get the bawdy element. You get the real people. The Canterbury Tales is not about the aristocracy looking at a European level about politics. It's got rude jokes in it. It's got drunkenness in it. And it makes you realise that he's describing maybe not real people, but possibly people who are part of the real world. It's a summary of what people were thinking at that time. So Chaucer is revealing what the world was like, what England was like, in his lifetime, which is exactly what these rappers are doing. And I want to bring in another one here because it isn't exclusively black rappers. And another one that's extremely controversial, and certainly was you know, back in his day, a high point, as it were, is Eminem. Because Eminem took the whole gangster rap thing and then further deconstructed that and said, okay, let's let's not talk about being a drug dealer because I'm not really that. Instead, he talks about domestic abuse and he talks about celebrity and he talks about violence and suicidal tendencies and all you know ra raising his child and it's like you know this is raw there are times when i've heard him and it's like should you put that on an album because that's always going to be there now that was probably your thoughts on that day and it's been immortalized in a song and I think that's an incredibly brave thing. Again, this is all very sweary, very much not clean. But once again, like Public Enemy and all this other stuff, it's a message you can actually dance to, which Chaucer was a little 
less good at. But you could say that Eminem and Chaucer have this linkage that they're talking more about domestic life than about anything particularly sexy and flashy and, and big, as it were. So then this moves me on to the Vikings and Scandinavian epic poetry. As I've already said with NWA, they weren't all driving round South Central LA with shotguns and AK-47s uh, in their low ride, uh, you know, looking to sell bags of crack, okay? That's what they sort of rapped about. That was the image they wanted to portray. Maybe some of them did it, but certainly not all of them. And uh, if you're unaware, one of the founding members of NWA is Dr. Dre who is the world's first hip-hop billionaire when he sold Beats to Apple. So we are talking about a guy who grew up with basically nothing. His early musical career was in this band with some really crazy jackets. They were kind of silk and velvet and, uh, yeah, look, look more like Prince in the 1980s rather than the sort of baseball caps and uh, gangster look. And you can tell that he just has a head full of music. It doesn't really matter what genre. He just wants to fill your head with some soothing tunes. And when you get to his quintessential album, uh, The Chronic, now we're not using mixes from other songs anymore. He's now putting in his own tunes and his own rhythms and beats. And you know it, you get this very lush, cool sounding track, something to calm LA after all the riots and all the Rodney King controversy and all that stuff. It was the perfect album for the perfect time, which you don't tend to say generally when you're talking about a piece of, in essence, pop music. We're now talking about acts that sell as much as Take That or the other sort of pop people out there, Katy Perry, you get the idea. I'm not really down with the kids. I'm talking about stuff that happened 20, 30 years ago. Anyway, so the point is, getting back to the Scandinavian poetry, this is an interesting fact about that genre, because the Vikings, and look, let's not get too much into this now, but there was never actually any Vikings. Vikings is a Scandinavian term for wanderers. So they called the people who went off into the boats Vikings, but they didn't call themselves Vikings and they wouldn't know what a Viking civilization was. They were Scandinavians. Okay, let's move on. Let's move on. But in this pagan society, there wasn't a lot of writing going on. There were a few runes, but nobody was writing down their stories. It was all carried over verbally through storytelling. So all these Scandinavian epics were written down in the Christian era, which leads to an interesting debate. Were these Scandinavian Christian scribes, men who would have been brought up absolutely understanding love thy neighbor and all the tenets of the Ten Commandments, when they were writing down these stories about their pagan past, did they do it honestly? Did they write down what their grandparents had told them? Because it's absolutely blood-soaked. It seems that the Vikings wanted nothing better than to die in battle and to have Valkyries flying around them and all this stuff. Don't get me wrong, it's absolutely cool as hell, and I would thoroughly recommend you give some of them a read. Much more interesting, in my opinion, than some of Shakespeare's love poetry. But anyway, anyway, personal opinion there, personal opinion. But the point is, 
were they writing down what they were told or were they adding the blood? Were they exaggerating the violence to show that how barbaric our ancestors were? We're different now. We're Christian. We're the good guys. Look what happened in the old days. And there's huge debate about this. And of course, the answer is we'll never know. At the very least, it has a kernel of what the Vikings believed in, but we don't know for sure. And in a way, this is why I want to bring it back to the gangster rap, because we do actually know what Dr. Dre was doing when he was 16 years old, we can tell what's fantasy and what's reality. But even he and all the other rappers were sort of spreading around their notoriety, bigging up their stories. Like Ice-T, if you just listen to the albums, you think that he was genuinely a drug-dealing gangbanger in South Central LA. But when you hear him being interviewed, he goes, I was only ever an affiliate. You know, I did a little bit of work for them, but I was never a core member. But even the even the actual gangs needed a little bit of entertainment, so I basically rapped about the stuff they liked. Kept them happy, kept me safe, everybody's happy. But that's not what's necessarily been remembered. And obviously, there is this sort of anti-hero glamour to something like a gangster. Let's take away the gangster rap connotations of the 1980s, and let's go back a few decades earlier till we get the the mafia and the bootleggers of the 30s, 40s, 50s, you know, with their trilby hats and their tommy guns. These guys were dangerous men, but they were kind of cool and sexy in their day. I think we've always liked something like a pirate or a highwayman or a gangster. We've always liked that person pushing against society, a little bit naughty. We like the gentleman thief rather than just the cold-blooded killer. And certainly there are times in the gangster rap genre where it definitely tips over. And I also don't want to be accused of over-glamorizing it as well, because unlike Shakespeare, unlike Chaucer, unlike Homer, unlike the Scandinavian epic poems, and also unlike Dickens, coming to him, to him in a moment, they are not dripping in misogyny and homophobia. And there are times where there's no arguing, there's no defending it. That's what happens in gangster rap. It's taken too far. Women are objectified. They're the goal. They're the things to trick, or they're the, the prize at the end of their hard day's work. And that's not what a woman is. So yeah, you know, if you want to start critiquing it, it that's there. But you know, what art form does not have some kind of problems? And we are talking about dirt poor kids from ghettos, okay? Compared to the likes of Chaucer, who was married into the royal family. So then we come to Dickens. And Dickens, in a weird way, was about 130 years earlier than the gangster rap movement and the hip hop scene. But he also came from a poor background. When you look at something like Oliver, most people today tend to think of Oliver from the musical. But when you pause for a moment, we are talking about a poor boy who's put into an orphanage and has a terrible life. He is telling people what Victorian life was like. And you get this a lot in Dickens because he had a hard life and he was very socially aware. He wanted to tell everybody. He wanted to tell the gentry, the easygoing 
parts of society that never understood what poverty was, that, that it exists, it's out there, and maybe you should do something about it. And absolutely, the very best of gangster rap does the same thing. Hip hop then, I'm going to argue, in 500 years time is going to be an invaluable way of looking at how the 20th and 21st centuries worked. It'll tell people about race, culture, poverty, violence, social issues. That is a rich theme for any historian to delve into. And the great news is that unlike something like the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle, this stuff you can dance to. Well, there you go. That's Neon's take on hip-hop. I'm Jem Daduchu, and I want to just remind you that if you like this, please, please give it a five-star review. Subscribe to the channel. This all helps to spread the word of what we're doing. If you want to start throwing out ideas, always love to hear them, and I will answer back, honest. You can go to neonpodcast.com. That's the official website. We're Neon Podcast, both on Facebook and Twitter. If you want to talk to me, I'm Jem Daduchu, all one word on Twitter, and I'm History Gems with a G on Facebook with a community page. Thanks very much. Listen out. There'll be more neon goodness coming your way soon. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.